We sure like it when it's good, don't we? <laughs> God is so, so, so good. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, please, 13 again. There's some really exciting things I, I want us to get into. Tomorrow night, anybody know what it is? It's a great offering night. And that is always a great time. And if, uh, uh, yes, sir, Lord, I'll say that. Uh, I was getting ready for the service this afternoon. And uh, the Lord quickened something to me. I about fell over. I thought, whoa, <laughs> whoa. And what, the way it came up was uh, I was praying about some people. I thought, well, where's so-and-so? Some uh, uh, minister friends that I, I really think a lot of, like all of you. And I thought, well, that, they're not there. And uh, I thought, well, I wonder why. Because there had been times that they, they had said, we know we're supposed to be in those meetings. And uh, so I was praying for them. And the Lord brought up what we're on in these services how you measure, yes. it will be measured to you. Yes. And the Lord quickened this to my spirit. I hadn't thought, I've never thought of this. He said, if they don't come to the meetings that I direct them to come to, uh-huh. it limits me drawing people to their meetings. Wow. Had you ever thought of that? He said, it limits me. If, if they decide, yeah, the Lord told me to go, but you know, no big deal. I can watch it online. That's going to happen with people that should be in their meetings. Why? Because that's how they measured it. That's how they, they decided it. And that was the word. That it limits, and I was reminded of Psalm 78, you know, they, they limited the Holy One of Israel. It, it limits that. So uh, we need to watch this, especially in this day of technology. Thank God for the Internet. Thank God for the cameras. Thank God for the broadcasts. But how many understand obedience is better than sacrifice? Yes, sir. Is that right? Yes, Nothing will take the place of obedience. And if the Lord tells you or me, is that right? Go to that meeting, be in that meeting, then uh, we we need to do it for multiple reasons. Is that right? Multiple reasons. And I I know he's sitting here, but I want to say something about Brother Kenneth. Almost 60 years of ministry. He and Miss Gloria. Global ministry. I mean, I think you could name on one hand the people who have had the reach that they've had in our generation. And he's here in the meeting with a younger, I didn't say young guest or young, young, just younger. Just to be in the meeting with us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Just to receive. 
How many elders do you know that do that? And they don't just do it with us. I've seen them do this with Jerry Savelle, Jesse Duplantis, their own grandson. Come sit on the front row with a Bible and notes. Take notes. That's one of the reasons God used them like he has. Is that right? Hungry, value the things of God. Is that right? If you're ready to receive through anybody that the Lord tells them to. Well, I'm not just saying that to honor them. I'm saying, should we follow that example? Should we? So then, as inconvenient as it may be. Right? When the Lord deals with you, when he deals with me, go. Be in that meeting. Right? You know how the enemy is? The moment the Lord puts that in your heart, the enemy will try to do a hundred things. Is that right? To knock you out of it. And you got to have some determination that, no, if the Lord told me to do it, I'm going to do it. And so... uh, for a number of people I'm talking to through the camera right now, next next year, <laughs> I want to see you. <laughs> and not just us, what, whatever meeting you're supposed to be in. But um, did, I'm, I'm going to say it again. The Lord said, if they don't go to the meetings I direct them to go to. He's talking about his ministers. He said, my ministers. Then it limits me. Dealing with and enabling the people to come to their meetings. Because they measured that they wouldn't bother to do it. And so other people that should have come to theirs, they'll do the same thing. They'll decide, no, I'm not going. I'll just watch it. I'll get it later. Whatever. Because that's how you measured it. And that's whether it's a church or a meeting or any of those things. So... uh well, how, many, how many think this is something to think about, something to, yeah, to look at, something to pray about? Yeah. And um, the reason, it, it has to do with the technology generation, especially after COVID. People have gotten used to sitting at home. Is that right? Watching a screen. And there's just a lot of things you can't accomplish with a screen. You need to be there. And and so uh, whatever the Lord says to us, that's how you get a miracle, right? Yeah. Whatever he says to you, do it. Is that okay or is, is that okay? I didn't give you another option. So First Corinthians, <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, are you there? We'll, we'll just say it's okay. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Is it possible to speak in tongues and pray and it not mean anything? It is. Verse 2, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Now, for one thing, faith is not going, even though you may have faith, It's not going to become operative without love. Faith operates, functions by love. Verse 3, though I bestow all my goods, not part, 100% of everything I got 
to feed the poor. Now, you talk about making, helping the poor a priority. You can't do more than 100%. And give my body to be burned. That's, what else could you give to be a martyr? And if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Is it possible to give, even give a lot and get no benefit out of your giving? We, we saw this some with Cain last night. I mean, he gave an offering. Did his offering benefit him? It did not. But Abel's offering, we're still talking about it all these centuries later. Now go with me, if you would, to uh, Mark, the fourth chapter. Mark chapter four. Verse 23 says, Jesus said, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. I uh, I sought to understand more of that for some time. I'm still seeking to understand more of it. But one thing the Lord quickened to me, I won't go into it because it's a whole thing, but one of the biggest things that makes a, a hearing ear is a willing heart. There's a whole thing we could talk about, but if you're unwilling, you won't even discern it. You won't hear it. You're and the Lord said this to me, talking about AM band, FM band, you know, that you can't pick up an FM station on an AM band. No matter how high you crank up the volume, how many amplifiers you put on it, you know, it ain't about power. It's about what frequency you're on. And he said, you'll pick up the plan on the willing band. His plan. You'll find out what his plan is for you when you are genuinely willing to hear it and do it in your heart. And until you're willing, you won't pick it up. You're on the wrong band, wrong frequency. The Bible talks about attend to my words, incline. Is that right? What what is incline? That's an adjustment. That's just like adjusting an antenna. Is that right? Or, or turning a dial. Incline your ear. And uh, people say, well, God never talks to me. Well, we know what the problem is. <laughs> That's like saying the station's not broadcasting. Oh, yeah, it is. It, just because you're not picking it up doesn't mean it's not broadcasting. <laughs> How many have found out again and again the problem wasn't God? (laughs) Have you found that out? If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, take heed what you hear, for with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, now what does that mean? You've got to go back to the measuring part. To him shall be given. To him that has not, again, that's not measuring it. From him shall be taken even that which he he has. So this, this term of measuring and meat has the same, the same meaning. We get our words, you know, meter and metering and all of that from that. In Luke 6, if you'd go there, Luke 6. You'll find this in numerous places in the Word. Luke 6, 
Verse 36. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father is also is merciful. Judge not, you'll not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. At any time you are tempted to hold a grudge or to find fault or to judge, what you want to realize, this is an opportunity to set myself up for mercy in the future. Yeah, that's good. Is that right? Yes, sir. Because I assure you, you hadn't done everything perfectly. And there's going to come a point where you're going to want not justice, mercy is what you're going to want. Right? And James says, if you haven't sown mercy, if you've sown judgment without mercy, you're going to reap judgment. Without mercy. Oh, but he goes on to say, mercy rejoices against judgment. What does that mean? Even though you had messed up so bad and deserved to be judged, you won't be. You won't be. You'll get mercy. 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 But remember it when you're dealing with somebody that you're mad with, you're upset with. You Remember, okay, this is, a, this is an opportunity. To sow mercy. Is that right? And all you got to do is go, what if I was in their situation? Right? Would I want another opportunity? Would I want mercy? Well, if I'll sow it, then when I need it, I'll reap it too. He goes on to say, give, and it shall be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Everybody say measure. measure. Say it again, measure. measure. How you measure it. Now we, we've known this is Luke 6.38. How many times you heard that verse? Right? But so many times people are only thinking in connection with giving money or things in an offering. But see, he's talking about uh, being merciful, talking about judging, condemning, forgiving, as well as giving. Yes, right? Yes. So this measuring affects everything. Oh, somebody say everything. everything. How you measure it. How you hear it, how you measure it when you hear it. Now let's back up again. What did Jesus say? Take heed. What, what does that mean? That's, that's a warning. That's a caution. About what? When you hear it, watch how you measure it. Watch how you judge it. This word judge means decide. Now go to Acts, please, the 13th chapter. Acts chapter 13. Are y'all okay? We need to, uh, need to camp a little bit here tonight. Hmm? How quick will I be done? I don't know. <laughs> It depends partly on how well you hear. I'm serious because if you're a little slow hearing and I'm a little slow getting in out, well, it'll take twice as long. But 
Either one of us quick on it, it's going to speed the whole thing up and make it even better. Somebody said out loud, I have ears to hear. Acts 13. Acts 13 and 41. No, no. I'm rushing. I need to slow down. Okay. <laughs> Let's start in the uh, 13th verse. And you'll notice what they are doing is journeying, traveling. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. That's where John left them because he was missing Mama's meatloaf. (laughs) And this this life on the road wasn't what he thought it was going to be. (laughs) and uh, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down now they're in a strange place to them Uh, they're strangers to the people that see them came in they just came into the synagogue which is you know kind of like our our church would be and uh, they just came in and sat down and the, uh, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them. Now, this is God. Sent to them. So somebody came, the, the rulers of the synagogue whispered in somebody's ear. And they came over to uh, Paul and his company. And they said, uh, if you brethren have something to share. Some word of exhortation. Come share it. This is God. Because as structured as some of these things were. And maybe they had even heard about. A lot of these folks called Christianity a sect. That needed to be stamped out. I don't know how much they had heard. But anyway this is. This is God moving. They said you men and brethren. Brethren. This is friendly. If you have any word of exhortation, you got something to say. Come, uh, say on. Say on. So, you know, you don't have to ask Paul twice. <laughs> Paul stood up, beckoned with his hand. How many believe he was ready? Yeah. Uh, you think he's prayed up? He's, he's ready? Well, well, why are they even there? Why'd they go there? Right? He beckoned with his hand, and oh my, what utterance, what utterance. He said, men of Israel, and you that fear God, give audience. (laughs) Now, uh, you'll hear people say, wasn't Paul amazing? Wasn't Paul amazing? Yeah, but don't give the credit for the anointing to him. Hmm? I've heard people say, man, you see all those psalms that David wrote? He must have been so brilliant. 
No, nobody's that brilliant. That's right. That's good. This is the Holy Spirit. This is utterance. This is revelation. This is anointing. Yes, it's, he's an admirable vessel. How he yielded to God. But he's speaking beyond himself. Is that right? I mean, this is inspired scripture that we're reading out of the Bible. We have, we have a segment of the actual words and message he preached on this day. He stood up, beckoning with his hand. Somebody said, oh, what a great orator was. What a man of God he was and still is. And what an anointing. What utterance. He said, the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt at strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm, he brought them out of it. Now, before I keep reading, remember who he's talking to. Behind him and beside him, doctors of the law, Pharisees. These are people who spend, and Sadducees, people who spend their whole life examining the scriptures, the law and the prophets. And so what does he do? The Spirit of God is just going to lay it out for them from the front to the end. You're talking about putting it together? He said God brought them out with a high arm. And about the time of 40 years, he suffered their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And you can be sure all these doctors of the law are listening to the numbers. And they're going, that's right. Yeah, seven, that's right. That's, that's right. <laughs> 40 years, that's right. That's right. And when he had destroyed seven nations, he divided their land to them. And after he gave them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And all of them were going, that's right, 450, yep. They're thinking, I like this guy. (laughs) And uh, afterward, they desired a king. Man, there's so much revelation in every part. This, the king thing, wasn't God's idea. They wanted a king. And God gave to them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. They're thinking, yeah, right tribe. That's the right time. Yeah, this guy's he knows his stuff. And when he had removed him, exactly right, he raised up to them David to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And everybody in the synagogue loves David. Oh, man, they've been hearing about David and Goliath from the time they weren't big enough to walk. Everybody loves David. Now he's going to get some amens. Is that right? He removed Saul. Raised David up to be the king. He gave testimony. He said, I found David to be a man after my own heart. And this is what a man or woman after God's heart is, is someone who will fulfill all his will. That's what it is. Verse 23. Of this man's seed, 
David's seed. Has God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior? Jesus. <laughs> the whole place might have went, whoo. But then they got, in their mind, they got to go, is he the son of David? Is that right? Everything else he said was right. Come on, can you see that? Everything else. And is this, uh, of this man's seed, David, has God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a savior, Jesus. Oh, somebody say Jesus. And this is why they are in the synagogue this morning. Is that right? To talk about the one, the only, King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not him, but behold, there's coming one after me whose shoes of his feet I'm not worthy to loose. Everybody knew about John Baptist ministry. Everybody knew this was right. He said, men, brethren, children of the stock of Abraham and whoever else among you that fears God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwelt at Jerusalem and their rulers Because they didn't know him, and they didn't realize the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. Come on, is this getting close to home? (laughs) Huh? They heard the law, they heard the prophets every Sabbath too. And they completely missed who had come, who was in their midst. He said, because they didn't know God, and they didn't recognize Jesus. They didn't realize, they didn't know the voices of the prophets that they read every Sabbath day. Is it possible to hear and not hear? Oh, man. They fulfilled them in condemning him. And I ain't saying all these prophecies, especially in the prophets, they're exact fulfilled in him. And if you knew the word, you would know that. And although they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, how many know all of it's written? Every bit of it. Is that right? In the Psalms, in the prophets, not a bone of his will be broken. I mean, they'll look on him whom they've pierced. I mean, on and on. It's all there. That's proof positive that this is no ordinary book. The scores of thousands of times when things are predicted and prophesied with pinpoint accuracy. Centuries, even millennia before they transpired. Who could have known? Who could have said? Only the one who looks over the whole thing and sees the end from the beginning. Oh, somebody say thank you. I think Paul's preaching has inspired me. (laughs) Does it inspire you? He said when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. Woo! 
Are they hearing the gospel this morning in the synagogue? Oh, they are. They are. God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them that came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. What is that? Good news. Gospel. We declare to you the gospel. How that the promise that was made to the fathers. All the way back to Abraham. All the way back after the fall. All the thing. David. All of it. He just got through preaching. He said that promise. Which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled the same to us their children. In that he has raised up Jesus again. As it is written. In the second Psalm, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. And even folks that might not have been, you know, thinking this was all right, they, they looked at each other, but that's what it says. That's, that's in the Psalms. You are my son, this day I have begotten you. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Yes. And they were like, man, we love David. <laughs> Wherefore, he says also in another song, you shall not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. For David, we all love David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell on sleep. And he was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption. So that prophecy wasn't just about him. But he whom God raised from the dead, raised again, he saw no corruption, no decay. Be it known to you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, now is everybody with me? Yes. Or with, with him, Paul? Verse 40. Are y'all with me? What does it say? Beware. Beware. Is that kind of like take heed? A caution? You can really see why. In just a few few verses, you can see why the Spirit of God said this. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold you despisers. Do you know what despising is? Measuring. It's measuring one way of measuring what you hear. Behold, you despisers, and wonder and perish, because I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it to you. Do you know what's happening right now in the midst with them? A man is declaring it to them. It's happening right here, real time. These prophecies are being fulfilled. And, and the Spirit of God is cautioning them. And that's, that's what we have of the message. And so they, the choir sang a song. <laughs> and, and they dismissed. Verse 42, when the Jews were going out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now you gotta remember, Paul and company, they weren't guest speakers. 
They weren't invited. They just came to church. Right? But while they were there, they didn't ask for anything. The the leaders of the Jews, they sent word to them because God moved on them. And so the Gentiles, man, they were stoked. (laughs) They thought, that is some good preaching there now. (laughs) They... Uh, they said, we, we want to hear some more of that next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews, many of the Jews, many of the Jews, not just the Gentiles, many of the Jews and religious proselytes, those are folks who had become Jews from other places, they followed Paul and Barnabas. They came out of the synagogue. They said, where y'all going to eat? <laughs> we know a good place. Huh? And then they said, you know, uh, how about after lunch? Y- y'all want to talk to us t- some more about the seed of David? Talk to us some more about that being for- forgiven of your sins. Huh? Tell, a- tell us some more. And so this, this kind of thing went on all week. Speaking to them and persuading them to continue in the grace of God. Yes, amen. Come on in with both feet and stay with it. Verse 44. And the next Sabbath. And so we talked about this last night. You know what's coming? Now, now let's back up. What's the last thing that the Spirit of God said through Paul? Don't let this happen to you. You despisers. So no problems all week long. In fact, not just Gentiles. Jewish people. And a number of them. Excited. God's moving. In town. Talking about it at home. Did you hear that message last Sabbath? I'm telling you, there was something about it, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, that it was all right, wasn't it? I mean, everything he said was scripture, scripture, scripture. Yeah. So this Jesus, the son of David, he's the Messiah. Raised from the dead. Talking about it all week. All over town. And by the next Sabbath, it was standing room only. I mean, the parking lot was full. Donkeys everywhere. (laughs) Overflow parking. Is that right? (laughs) Had to rent Farmer Brown's field, you know, to park extra donkeys in. And there were people hanging out the windows. There were people in the hallway. There were people outside the the doors. Almost the whole city came. Is that right? Yes. That's astounding. I mean, there was nobody in the bars. Nobody in the restaurants. Nobody working. Come on, y'all listen. 
every, almost the whole city came to do what? Hear the word of God. Because that's how God has ordained that people be saved. Is by hearing what the world calls the foolishness of preaching. And I mean, this is record breaking. And uh, verse 45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, when they saw the crowds, because you know back on the, uh, the back wall on the record, it said attendance last Sunday. <laughs> 145. And now you can't count them. There's people as far as you can see outside. And it was too much for them. So we talked about that Monday, right? I went through the account of how the you know woman said about our house in Tulsa. That's just too much. But too much for who? Too much. It wasn't too much for us. We lived in it. We enjoyed it. But what did the Lord say? Take heed. How you hear a thing. And then how you measure it. Why? Because that's how it will be measured with you. Somebody said out loud. Lord open my eyes. Help me to get this. Comprehend this. Fully. When they saw the, the crowds, they were what? Filled with envy. Why? It's too much. Why? They've never had crowds like this. And now the crowds are heaven is not because of them. They're not coming to hear them. They're coming to hear these folks we just met last week. And it was too much for them. Because they are the spiritual leaders here in the city. So they did not choose to rejoice with the people or with Paul. Do you think Paul was happy to see the crowd? Do you have to explain that? Do you think a preacher was happy to see a giant crowd on the Sabbath? He was thrilled. The whole team is thrilled. There's excitement in the air all over the place. I mean, even people passing by the road, just passing through the city going, what is going on over here? Is that right? Excitement. Now the scripture says rejoice. With them that are rejoicing. Is that right? And like we've said, you know, talking about envy last night. This is one of the biggest ways you can tell if you're envying or if you're not. If you get mad and upset at somebody else's success and advancement and position, possessions or position, you are envying. And you are not walking in love. And so your faith won't work. 
And so your prayer will be empty. Come on, y'all listening. And your giving won't get any results. But if you really care about them, come on, just from a pastor's standpoint. You've been trying to get those people from the other side of town to come to church for 25 years. And this morning, they're all here. Them and they're, come on, are y'all with me or not? No matter who's preaching, should you be a happy camper? Should you be rejoicing and glad that the whole city... Because you got to remember, back in these days, they worshipped all kind of gods. I mean, there were temples for Diana and Ashtoreth and Baal. I mean, on every corner. So you talk about choice of religions. And for the whole city to be out to hear about the one and only God and Jesus. Oh, this is a day of days. But are they happy about it? No. This is sad. Is what this is. This is sad. And the enemy knows. That if he can mess up the leaders. He can stop a move of God. And it has happened over and over and over again. And, the, and his favorite tool. Is the sin that got him. Envy. And when you're envious, you are not happy about your brother's success. It makes you mad. And that's ugly. I said, that's ugly. Proving you don't care about them. If you cared about the people, you'd be ecstatic. Is that right? If you cared about your city... You'd be so happy. But they're not. They're not. They are filled with envy. And so they begin to speak against what Paul had spoken. Contradicting and even blaspheming. And this is so hypocritical. Because a week ago they were fine with it. Is that right? They all sat right there and heard him preach. And they could have stood up any time and went, oh, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. Get these strangers out of here. No. They're happy. They followed him right through the word. And they went, that's it. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And then he said, Jesus, they went, whoo, whoa. Well, okay, let's think about it. This is hypocrisy. Is everybody awake now? This this is what's happening today. There are so many people fighting against other ministries and they're hypocritical about it. They don't really have issue with the doctrine. Mm -mm. It's dishonest. You know one thing that I... I have found surprising is after, I don't know, Phyllis and I were approaching, what, uh, 42 or 3 years in the ministry now. And uh, it is exceedingly rare in my experience 
to find ministers that will actually sit down and open-mindedly discuss the scriptures with each other. Exceedingly rare. I have found it on the rarest occasions. You might say, what? Yes. In so many cases, you say something that somebody thinks threatens them a little bit. Oh, man, they shut down like a vice. They get mad and you can't even talk. Why? That shows you are terribly insecure. Is that right? You're terribly insecure. Let me read you some scriptures. Are you okay? (laughs) Somebody said, what what have we been doing? Yeah. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, Help me find this, Lord. Uh, Where is it at? Thank you, Lord. Please stand by. <laughs> um, I'll just I'll just quote some of them and say it. Jesus said, John seventeen, Thy word is truth. The psalmist said, Your word is very pure. It's been refined like silver. Seven times. It's been tried. And that word is refined. Why am I saying this? The truth will examine the most severe scrutiny. The most severe pressure. You should never feel like you have to defend the truth. That's like an ant trying to defend a tank. The tank doesn't need it. (laughs) The the truth was standing before you arrived. Is that right? And the truth will be clear and standing long after heaven and earth has passed away. But his word will never pass away. What do you mean? If what you're believing is the truth and really the word... Don't be afraid to have it examined. Don't be afraid to have somebody question it. No. Invite them to. Is that right? No. Show me from the word where it's wrong. Not your opinion and theory now. From the word. And these people are blaspheming and contradicting Paul. This is being dishonest. This is not about doctrine on this day. But they're making it about the doctrine. No, this is bad. No, if you'd have thought it was bad doctrine, you'd have said so last week. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. Your problem is the big crowd. And of course, who wants to admit that? Who's going to stand up and go, I am so mad about this big crowd. I've never had a crowd this big. You won't hear that. 
you will hear people use a cloak of some kind of dishonest, hypocritical, something else. But now read the rest of the verse. Are you still there in Acts 13? They spoke against the things that Paul was speaking. And then they start, the word blaspheme means to vilify. They started speaking ill of Jesus. Didn't the Spirit of God warn them last week? Didn't he? About despising? He did. They didn't hear it. They didn't get it. Next verse. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. <laughs> Don't let people cower you down. That's right. Oh yeah. It's their house. It's their synagogue. It's their city. And they're about to leave. But we're going to say something before we go. <laughs> They said it was necessary that the word of God was first spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you. Oh, get this, get this, get this. And what? Judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. We're going to the Gentiles. Now that was like slapping them with a wet dish rag right there. That thing about going to the Gentiles. But listen, I'm going to read some other translations. Young's literal says, verse 46, it was necessary the first word of God be spoken to you. Why? Because of covenant. They're the seed of Abraham. They had first rights. To the Jew and to the Gentile. And seeing you do thrust it away and don't judge yourselves worthy of life age during, we go to the nations. Another one says, since you reject it and don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. Philip says, since you spurn it and evidently don't think yourselves fit for eternal life, watch us now as we turn to the Gentiles. <laughs> Watch us. <laughs> the, uh, the Syriac Murdoch says, because you repel it from you, and that's a real accurate word, and decide, did you hear this? We talked about the definition for judge is decide. Decide against yourselves that you are not worthy of eternal life. Lo, we turn ourselves to the Gentiles. And verse 51 said, they shook off the dust of their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Ghost. And, the, and, and next Sabbath, it was one of the deadest services in that synagogue. Even the old people couldn't remember a deader so, no, I'm not joking. I was watching some years ago, uh, uh, it was international 
uh, like an interviewer, if I call the name of it, you'd know. And, and this famous interviewer was interviewing a, a famous pastor, a man we, we love. And uh, they were saying to him, how can a God of love send people to a hell? And we've heard things like that before, but I said, Lord, what's the best way to, to answer that? What's the best way? And I mean, just, just like that in my heart, he said, Keith, it's not my choice. It's not my choice. When they heard this message, they got off to a pretty good start for a few days, but then when they saw the crowds and, and, and they yielded to envy and those wrong spirits like they did, they measured it. And they measured themselves unworthy of it. They didn't keep the other people that went on with it out of it. They didn't limit Paul. So unless there was a, a change, and there could have been, but unless there was a change where we stopped reading, those people were lost. And who chose for them? Did Paul choose it for them? No. No. Did God choose it for them? Who judged them? On what they judged themselves. Oh, come on, can you see this? And see, this is happening all over the place when somebody goes to judge another. That's just too much. That's just crazy. Nobody should do that. Well, you didn't limit them, but you did limit somebody. Yourself. Do you know what one of the most favorite things that a lot of pastors do? And traveling preachers and ministers talk about other pastors. And talk about other preachers. We haven't always, you know, done things perfectly. But a lot of times Phyllis and I will be at different places. We won't be there five, ten minutes. Somebody starts bombarding us with questions about some other minister and some problem with them. And we're like, I don't want to talk about this. Kind of digging for dirt, you know, kind of, you know, and in a morbid way, if somebody's doing bad, kind of makes them feel better about themselves. I don't know, but it's wrong and it limits you. It limits you because when you judge them, according to Romans 2, 1, you just condemned yourself automatically. No. And then you will see when something good happens for somebody. We've found after years, there are times you want to share things with people and the Lord check you. Why, why do you want to share? One of the greatest things about blessings is other people enjoying them with you. Yes. Is that right? Yes. And so you want, you know, Jesus talked about the, the woman that lost her, her piece of, her, her piece and she found it and she said, come rejoice with me. And, and the man that lost his sheep, you know, and he, found, he said, come rejoice with me. Why? 
It's, it's so much more fun when other people are joined with you and celebrate with you. You know what else it is? Love. It's love. It's caring about you. It, if you're genuinely excited at somebody else's blessing, that's proof positive you care about them. You care about them. Phyllis and I uh, had some old, uh, cheap, used cars that broke down on us. And, and uh, after a few years in the ministry, we were able to get a black and silver, was that a 78 Toronado? Now, that's back when an Oldsmobile was an Oldsmobile. <laughs> Big chrome bumper, wire wheels. I mean, this thing was, <laughs> I won't say that. But <laughs> nice. And so I drove up to the uh, healing school in this car. And and my my helpers saw it through the window. And so they came out to the parking lot. They said, is this your car? I said, yeah, yeah. And one of the guys said, woo, glory, woo, glory. He jumped up. He took off. He ran around the car. He ran around the car. He ran around the car. Then he come back. He said, this is your car? I said, yeah. He said, whoo, glory. He took off and he ran, ran around the car. He shouted more than we did. And then he stopped me, looked at me, and it's genuine. He's not just putting on a show. I said, uh, well, praise God. Thank you, brother, for rejoicing. He said, I'm so glad you got it. I'm so glad. He said, and another thing. He said, uh, I'm in the same blessing line that you're in. He said, you got started a few years ahead of me, but I'm right back coming up the line. He said, then he said, whoo, go ahead. He took off. He just ran around the car again and again. <laughs> Did the scripture say, rejoice? Come on, say it out loud. Rejoice with those that rejoice. That's not just a nice thing. That's not just a polite thing. That is godly, that is love, and that is measuring something that's going to allow you to have the same kind of thing. Can you see it? Oh, somebody say, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. I know I've told it to the church, but it'll, it'll bear repetition. Uh. Uh, Brother Dave, David Crank, up in St. Louis, I'm talking about senior now, uh, one of Brother Copeland's partners for many years, used to send him a dollar a day, even if he had to go pick up bottles off the side of the road. He got in his heart to do that, and so he did that. We got to know them through some things, and he had me come minister to the church several times, and we became friends. And... Uh, I, Phyllis, it was at the time that Phyllis and I were having financial problems and we had gotten behind. We'd even gotten behind on some taxes and some other things. And the Lord dealt with me and her to make some significant changes and we made some corrections about tithing and sowing. I talked about some of it last night, but over the next couple of years, the Lord helped us. Everything was caught up. We were ahead. We, our partnership, I'm talking about our giving into other, our partnership with other ministries had come up. And one of the things that I did, I, I'd had a car 
I'm a country boy. I had a car since I was 13. I had an Impala when I was 13. And I always liked cars. My cousins were racers, drag racers, and so they'd help me with motors and all that kind of stuff. And so we had 67 Camaros and 68 Camaros and 70 Mach 1 Mustangs, and I was a car guy. And I didn't like any wimpy little thing. I wanted something that would shake the windows and scare little kids. Well, the Lord dealt with me when we got in trouble financially that we were putting too much into cars. And at one point he said, he said, Keith, I don't care if you have five of these, but you're not, you're acting like you're at a place you're not. My pro, our priorities were skewed. There was too much of this and not enough in the things of God. It was out of balance. And I saw it and I repented and I had a new pickup and had a car and we sold both of those. I had a Corvette, right? I had a Corvette. We sold both of those. And Phyllis had a car, a nice car that had been given to her. And I rode with her for, what, about two years, year and a half, something like that. She was kind enough to let me ride with her. <laughs> and I wasn't used to that because, like I said, I had my own car since I was 13. And so uh, time went on and we got things right. And our giving was where it should be. And I felt like, okay, the Lord let me know, okay, you can have a car. And so we found a used uh, Corvette that I really liked and used because that's where our money was. And I didn't want to get messed up again like we had done before. And it was up in uh, Brother Dave Crank's city where we found it. And he heard, he had done business with this dealership. He heard we were coming. And so when Phyllis and I went to pick up the car, he was there waiting on us with his whole family. And he was waiting for me with a new Corvette jacket and several other items. He said, I heard you get in a car. I said, yeah. And he knew, he knew a little bit of my story that I had been, Phyllis had been letting me ride with her and, and, um, he knew that that was hard on my flesh as far as not, not having a car and, and that I'm getting a car now. And so he won't celebrate with me. He wanted to rejoice with me. And his whole family, his boys and his wife, they're, they're all there smiling. And so we walked out to the car. It's a used car. It had what, I don't know, 20,000 miles or something on it. It was a few years old, but he just oohing and on. He said, Ooh, look at that. I mean, we raised the hood. He said, look at that suspension, man. Ooh, look at that. We just went all over. He said, uh, are you in a big hurry? I said, why? He said, can you come to the house? He said, come to the house and let my boys wash it for you and wax it for you. And uh, I said, okay, okay. So we went over to his house and he had a big barn, g- garage thing. And we pulled it in there and they put the lights on it. And uh, his boys came over there and pulled out the buckets and the sponges and the wax and everything. And I started over there. He said, no, 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 no. You come over here and sit with me. That's what I made those boys for. <laughs> so we sit down in the chairs. And admire the car and admire the work. And his wife comes over with sandwiches and, and give us something. 
I, I still remember it. I'm telling you about it today. He's in heaven. And all these years later, why? It ministered to us. Is that right? Why? It, the car's long gone. But the love stays. Oh, come on. Can you see that? The love. Why? The love endures. It won't pass away. The love never fails, never ceases, never comes to an end. Everything we do, but it has to be with this genuine pleasure in your brother's success. Yes, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. And especially when they go out beyond where you are. I said especially. It's like the man that ran around in the car. He was running for two reasons. Is that right? He's glad for us. But he believes the same thing's happening for him. Go to Philippians, please. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Philippians. Y'all okay? The second chapter. Verse 3. Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Remember, James talks about strife and envy connected together. But in lowliness of mind, do what? Do what? Let each esteem other what? Just as good. You ever heard people say, well, now, you know, I, I don't believe I'm any better than anybody else, but I don't believe anybody's better than me either. Where's that scripture at? Somebody said, well, how can I genuinely do that? It ain't that hard. You know all of your shortcomings. And is that right? And all of you, you don't know all of theirs, right? And you don't need to poke to try to find out either. So you can just, when you see anything good about it, you can just celebrate that and see the whole thing is better than yourself. It's not hard. It's a choice. Look not every man on his own things, but look every man also on the things of others. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. The ESV says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Romans 12 says the same thing. Be kindly affectioned to one another in honor, preferring one another. Somebody say preferring one another. The NIV says honor one another above yourselves. And it's at the end of that chapter, verse 15, where he says uh, rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Say it out loud again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Should we take this seriously? Rejoice with those that rejoice. Joy in your brother's success. Delight in your sister's advancement. Is that right? They will love you for it because they'll experience your love for them. They'll see when so many people, there's a few people you can Get to rejoice with you. Because you know what their response will be. 
Brother Jesse Duplantis found out a few days ago that we're going for this aircraft. I mean, I thought he was going to shout and run, prophesy. He said, oh, Keith, oh, Keith, oh, Keith, that's it, that's it, that's it. Oh, he started praying over me about all the things. Genuinely excited, genuinely happy and glad. That's somebody that cares about you. Stand on your feet, everybody. Just like you can measure yourself unworthy of something, you can measure yourself qualified for it. Lift up your hands. Altar workers, come to the front, please. Said out loud, Father, forgive me. At any time. I should have rejoiced with somebody. And I didn't do it. I judge that. That's not my heart. That's not my choice. Help me to be aware of every opportunity, every season where I should do something, say something, respond with gladness and with the right words. And the right countenance in rejoicing with my brothers and sisters. I'm glad to do it. I delight in it. And I thank you for elevating us all in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God.